Jesus once told a story, if we were to look at the story in its written form, it's in Luke chapter 12. We're not going to study that passage this morning, but it relates to what we are going to study. He told a story about a rich landowner, a wealthy farmer, um, and this wealthy farmer happened to have lands that were very fruitful and very productive, uh, and that productivity, that great Abundant harvest um, caused him a problem. Normally we'd think, well, boy, that's great. But he said, what am I going to do? I got way more crops than I have place to put them. I have so much more uh, harvest than I have storeroom. What am I going to do? And he thought to himself, I know what I'll do. I'll big bigger barns. I'll make greater storehouse and he did that, and then he said, now I can say to my soul, rest easy. You have everything you need for years to come. And after that completion of that project and the well-stored barns and the feeling of utter security for the future, he slept. And that night, God appeared to him, and he said, you're a fool. Tonight, you're going to die. And who is going to have all the stuff you stored up for yourself? I read a kind of a, not, not an actual story, but um, a story that's been told that's kind of a modern day parallel to that. A man was once asked by God, um, you have one wish. Tell me that one wish and I'll grant it. A man didn't think very long. He was a wise investor of money. And so he said, tell me, show me the newspaper of the Wall Street, Wall Street Journal with the stock report for 10 years from now. That way I'll know what to invest in and I'll become wealthy. And so God said, okay. He sent the paper to him. The man opens the paper. He starts looking down the list of all the stock and the pos possible options for investing to see where he could put in his money low so that would arrive high at that moment. And as he was looking over, he glanced over the other side of the page, and it was the obituary section. And there was his name and a description of his life. So he got what he wanted, but he didn't know what he was wishing for. Jesus speaks to us in uh, Matthew chapter 6. I've given you uh, a page of the layout of the text, both in Spanish and in English. You have one or the other. Uh, this text is going to tell us about um, short-term investments and why they're not wise. It's going to tell us about thinking only for the present and not giving concern to the eternity. By the way, that's not my PowerPoint for today, so we don't need to concern ourselves with that. Thank you. Um, in this passage, we're going to come in into contact with two treasures. We're going to see two visions. There'll be displayed two masters, or master and slave relationship, and then two preoccupations, or two dominant concerns. So 
Two treasures, two visions, two masters, and two preoccupations. Jesus has told us in earlier in, in chapter 6, look, when you're praying, ask God, give us this day our daily bread. Just give us the meals we need to get through this day. And in much of the world, that's what is practiced. Those places that don't have refrigeration, that don't have preservatives in their food, it's kind of like daily, if not two, three days or weekly. Much of my travels in in the southern part of the big land where I used to travel and also down in Latin America, I see very small refrigerators because people don't store up for very long. Um, and so he said, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Say, don't accumulate. Don't pile up stuff on earth. Let's talk about just that phrase because then he's going to tell us why we shouldn't. What he's not saying. He is not saying don't save for the future. If your job and your income allows you to save for the next week or the next month or even for farther into the future, Jesus is not condemning that. He's saying there's wisdom. The book of Proverbs would tell us over and over again. It tells us even to look at the ant and watch those tiny little insects as they show the wisdom of God about preparing for the future. Uh, and so he's not telling us don't prepare for the future, don't save. He's not, he's not telling us, look, to, not, to be unwise in our spending. He's not saying that. Um, so he says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. In other words, things that are temporary. Don't invest in that big stock market thinking that you're going to live forever to be able to enjoy the proceeds of your profit, of your investment. Well, why not invest in treasures on earth? He says, because they got short-term value. He says, because moth and rust destroy things we pile up in this life. And because thieves can break in and steal uh, moth and rust. And we've got rustoleum, and we've got the Flex Seal family of products, and we've got all those things to protect us from, from stuff like that. Um, we've got, we've got uh, ways to, to keep the moths out. We even have mothballs. Remember our great-grandma? We had mothballs in the closet, and we used to hate what her sweater smelled like, but she was protecting them. Um, for the people of Jesus' day, these are very present issues just to try and save the grain they harvested or whatever they had uh, managed to, to keep for food. Um, moths would destroy their clothing. Rust or other varmints would enter in and eat their grain. Rust would destroy uh, their structures. And they, like we also had problems with robbers and thieves. They didn't have security systems. We get stuff and then we make it secure by putting something on our house or on our car so that no one breaks in and steals. So we go to get just the most simple of cell phones or we get the most intelligent, intelligent, super smart smartphones. It doesn't matter. The question after we've made the purchase is always what? Do you want to ensure that <laughs> because we're going to drop it we're going to crack the screen or someone's going to steal it or something's going to have we're going to drop it in water and so we get a possession 
and immediately we're confronted with how to preserve it so it doesn't lose its value. Jesus says, moth and rust destroy stuff. Thieves steal stuff. And so we're in the constant battle of once we accumulate, how to keep and preserve it for our future use. So don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth, earthly possessions. Don't be a miser and hoard them. And don't be a materialist who presumes that the more I have, the better life is. Um, I have seen a t-shirt or a saying, a meme, that says, he who dies with the most toys wins. That's not life. <laughs> the toys will be left behind. We just die. So rather, rather than storing up treasures on earth, he says, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Interestingly, Jesus uses these same words, for yourselves, for yourselves in both commands. We might say, if he only used it on don't store yourselves treasures on earth, we might say, well, yeah, well, that's being selfish. Can I propose to you that I think Jesus is appealing to our righteous self-interest? In other words, it's good to want treasures where treasures are righteous. It is a good thing to desire wealth in God's terms. And so we should store up for ourselves those things that will make us the most blessed for the longest term, eternity. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And he says, why? Because there's no moths in heaven. Or at least if there are, they don't have teeth. And there's no rust in heaven. So it won't, there will be no natural processes by which whatever we have stored up in heaven deteriorates in any way. Its value will not diminish. It will remain intact. And there's no thieves in heaven. Those that are, are converted and are now givers instead of stealers. And so there's no thieves in heaven and there's nobody to break in and steal. Jesus will not hand us a simply safe security system when we get to our mansion in heaven. He will not say, look, you just call 911 and we'll dispatch some angels over there and we will get those dudes if they're stealing your stuff. No, you're secure here. I'm not an investment whiz expert. I'm just a normal dude. But guys who are smart in this stuff and women who are smart in this say, if you're going to invest well, invest for the long term. The things that will hold their value for the longest possible time because that's where you'll gain profit. Jesus is the heavenly investment advisor and he's telling us, don't go short term, that's on earth. Lay up treasures in heaven. Question becomes then, well, what are treasures in heaven? I liked how one, one writer put it, you know, John Stott. Treasures in heaven are things like this. Developing Christ-like character. Going through grief and then sharing with others who may anticipate or are enduring grief. That's Christ-like character. Using your gifts to serve others. Becoming like Christ and who he is. Um, growth in faith, hope, and love. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, But now abide... Faith, hope, and love. In other words, those three last. So grow in your faith. Oh man, we, we sang that song, Esperanza, Esperanza, Esperanza this morning. Hope, hope, 
hope. I lo- I'd love to see those words all over again. First time I've sung that. Um, develop our hope in a God who lasts forever. And then love. Get rid of the nastiness, the meanness, the, just the self-centeredness that's part of us and develop Jesus' kind of love inside, faith, hope, and love. Increasing intimacy with Jesus and deeply knowing him. Paul said, for the surpassing value of knowing Jesus, I'd give up anything. Hunger to truly know Jesus. My wife and I met in Bible college years, um, in our 20s, early 20s. Actually met in our late teens, but uh, we began uh, a relationship, a friendship in our early 20s. And I knew my wife, her name is Jo, J-O. Um, we've now been married for almost 44 years, uh, next February, I remembered. Um, I know her better now than I knew her on our college campus. Whenever you met Jesus, you were dating. (laughs) However long it's been, you've been getting to know him better. And when we sink our lives into Jesus and seek to know him, his heart, his character, his wants and desires for us, who he is, how he stands by us, that, that other beautiful song we sang, He is for us. He is for us. El nos ama, el nos ama. When we sink into that for Jesus and knowing him, then we're getting to know him better. And, and that has surpassing value. Um, another, by active prayer and by witnessing, testifying of our faith, we invite others into that love relationship with Jesus, and they then can live for eternity with us where no moth or rust destroys and where no thief breaks in to steal our joy. So we're witnessing. We're doing um, a men's beast feast, and we're asking buddies to show up. Or we're decorating our cars, and 500 people show up to get candy. By the way, I understand there's sweets available after the service today, too. Is this like Sugar High Bible Church or something like that? <laughs> We're just going for it this weekend. The kids all ate their candy last night, and they're going to get more sweets today. Uh, the, I know the, the dentists of Katie are just loving this, this church. Um, but we do things like that, silly things like decorating car. Why? Because people come, and we get a chance to express the love of Jesus, and we hope the message of Jesus That's investing uh, in heaven. That's laying up treasures there. Using and investing our time, our finances, and our resources to advance Jesus' kingdom. Okay, after you get sweets at around noon today or 11.30 or whenever we end up here, uh, 11.45, then go home and give out more sweets. Uh, Some Christians are like, "Mm -hmm, Halloween, Halloween, I don't like Halloween. I think it's the best day of the year other than Christmas and Easter. Because on no other day of the year do lost people come to my door and knock on it and want something. But on Halloween, they do. And so get decent candy, chocolate preferably. Um, and give it out with smiles. And we have tracks by our doorway, your doorstep. And I'm going to be giving tracks in those kids' bags. And don't eat this, eat this. But so that they get something to read about Jesus' love for them. Using our resources. You got a pool in your backyard? Invite your friends. 
uh, you got an extra car, use it for transporting people to the hospital. What, whatever resource you have, whatever time you have, what, you, you know both Spanish and English, use it to reach out. Uh, you know another language, whatever. Just use our money in giving for causes that honor God and our time and our resources, our talents, our gifts in order to reach out to people for Christ's sake. That's investing or laying up treasure in heaven. Well, what's going to guide us in doing that? The next paragraph says, The eye is the lamp of the body. So then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. If your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is in darkness, how great is that darkness? Jesus focuses on the negative. He said, look, you can have two visions. You can have your vision set on eternity or your focus set on the here and now. You can look toward heaven and what God rewards, or you can focus on what man rewards or temporary prizes and stuff uh, right here and now. And if your eye is focused up there, then your direction is lightened in front of you. He's using the image of the eye, not saying that when light comes into our eye, it goes down into our body. He's simply saying the eye is the guide to our body's actions. The eye tells our hand what to do. When I turn this page, my eye tells me where it is. When I walk out that door, my eye tells me how to find it. When I want to drive a car, my eye tells me how to avoid it. The eye guides the body and its actions. And so he's saying, if your eye is focused on down here and getting the best you can get, then you're full of darkness. It's like you're blind. If your eye is focused on those things I just listed and God's reward, then it's full of light and it guides your daily decisions and actions. And so it's in the first is a question of the durability and the lasting power of what we treasure up. In this par paragraph, it's, it's the question of our present life due to our heart's focus. Next is the, the two masters. You notice that each one that I have outlined in or boxed in in green is an illustration from common life. Uh, the eye now masters. No man can serve two masters, verse 24. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth or God and money. Notice he started out the paragraph, no one can serve two masters. And he ends the paragraph, you cannot serve God and wealth. They are mutually exclusive gods. It's not like we can be part-time. Like, God, I'd like to, can I, can I do weekends for you? And five days a week, I'm kind of out for myself and what I can get out of life. God says, no, no. It's either me seven days a week, 24 hours, or it's whatever else you want to serve. And notice he's using the imagery of master and slave. <laughs> Some of us might think, well, man, I'd rather go for the mammon stuff. I'd like the wealth and the money stuff. That sounds good to me. <laughs> Jesus is still saying, yeah, but you're still a slave. <laughs> You may be going for it, but you're a slave to it. There's no fun in it. You are dominated by it. You don't dominate it. So Jesus tells us in the issue of two masters, it's a question of your absolute loyalty to one or the other. To which master do I ascribe the highest value or the worth? Do I say, you know what? I'm still saving up for that Lamborghini. <laughs> and when I get that life will be so good. 
or I'm going to serve him with all the gusto and energy I have. And when I arrive in his presence, then life will be so good. It's one or the other. It's not like part-time stuff. They're mutually exclusive. If you're tracking with me so far, and if we are on that hill tracking with Jesus as he's talking, he's speaking very practically now, we're thinking, so if I give up all this stuff, and it's true, the stuff is never enough. Yeah. But if I give up going for that, who's going to feed me and my family? How am I going to get along through life? How, how am I going to have clothes to wear if I, don't, if I don't focus on some of the here and now kind of thing, going to work, buying groceries, putting meals on the table, the things that, that require money? Jesus says, aha, I got gotcha. I see those concerned looks uh, in the audience. He said, okay, listen to me. For this reason, because of what I've just said, I don't want you laying up treasures on earth. Lay up treasures in heaven. For this reason, I'm saying to you, do not be worried about your life. And then he puts in the questions. He knows the people in the audience are asking, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? Nor for your body as to what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? If you notice down here, all the question marks Jesus asks. He makes his points by asking questions to which the answer is very obvious. Instead of making statements, mostly it's questions. So uh, I think there's a, there might be gender-specific questions being asked here. I'll be accused of uh, being a male chauvinist here, but... I think that the men tend to ask, what are we going to eat? And the women ask, what are we going to wear? <laughs> uh, someone has said that the same man who looks in the refrigerator and says, man, we got no food. His wife is looking in the closet and saying, man, I got nothing to wear. <laughs> and so Jesus addresses all of us here. Um, so worry about your life. Well, what sustains life? That's food and drink. So, so don't worry about that. Don't worry about what sustains your life, nor our body. Well, what helps us with our body? We're all wearing clothes. I noticed that everyone is this morning. Something was in the closet for you, and you came here with it. That's good. Um, so your life, what sustains it? What you eat, what you drink. Your body, what protects it? Food or clothing. So he says, don't worry about that. Notice how many times in this passage he speaks about worrying. One two, three, little faith is about the same, four, five, six, uh, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. In most audiences and in my own heart, I think when someone says don't worry, it's kind of like saying don't think about pink elephants. So, I worry all the time. What do you mean don't worry? Jesus is going to tell us how not to worry. He gives us two illustrations. He says, check out the birds of the air. Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow, meaning they don't farm, they don't cultivate their fields, nor do they reap, they don't harvest, nor do they store their food into big barns. Have any of you ever, like, watched a, a, a flock of crows? Sometimes in some intersections, in Katy and up in Cyprus, here you go, and there's like 
I don't know what birds they are, but they line the power lines. I'm thinking, what's the deal here? They're like, is there a line? Is this the Department of Motor Vehicles or something? They're just, they're just long lines of them all up. And I don't think they're discussing where we're we going to eat. You know, we're out. How the worms in your subdivision? We ain't got none. How about y'all? No worms. No, no grain stuff there. There's no restaurants where the people eat outside and we can bother the patrons of the restaurant. So they're not sitting there discussing the bad crop this year. It's like they're all fed. And who feeds them? There is a God in heaven who takes care of worthless birds who sit on power lines in Katy, Texas. A God does that. I started to look up on, online last night, and I didn't do it. So I know there's going to be somebody on your phone, even while I'm preaching, and you're going to come up and tell me afterwards, what is the price of a parakeet? I don't know. Can't be all that much. <laughs> I'm sorry for you bird lovers. Um, but if God feeds birds who you could buy in a pet store for some dollars, is he going to take care of you? who are much more valuable than that? That's his question. We all know the answer. And the answer is? Okay, that was not very convincing. The answer is? Okay, better, better. Or si, absoluto. Um, and why are you worried about clothing? Okay, well, let's go back to that one question. Aren't you worth more than they? We've already answered that. And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? If you just sit there thinking, man, I, and online, I know there's this thing called death clock or whatever. You plug in some information. It's tell, it gives you kind of about the average of, and it, the clock's running, and it tells you about how much more time you got, you know? So if, if it's right, of course, if you read it online, it's got to be right, right? Uh, if it's right, which of us, if we're sitting there saying, I'm so worried about this, can we make it last an hour longer? He's saying, you can't do anything to sustain your life any longer than it's going to last. So trust a God who feeds birds and thinks that you are infinitely more valuable than a bird. And he says, observe the lilies of the field. Why do you worry about your clothes? <laughs> My wife and I just bought for me a new suit this week. I think the last time I even looked at a suit in a store was in excess of two decades ago. I, I like to stay up with styles. Um, it, the reason is, is I am going to be officiating at my son's, younger son's wedding in less than two weeks. And I should look decent. Um, and so, new suit. Um, We've discussed what's going to happen to us when we die. And we've brought up the idea of cremation and burial, and we're trying to look at the two. I won't go totally into that, but if, they, if we decide on burial, I should see if they, because I won't have anything to do with it once I'm gone. Um, if they decide on burial, then they'll probably put me in that newer suit. <laughs> They can't put the rest of the clothes in my closet on me. I won't fit in the box. I'm leaving all that stuff behind. And Jesus, why are you worried about clothing? Look at the flowers of the field. 
I brought with me a lantana flower. It's off of our lantana bush in the backyard. After the freeze, if you looked at the ground, it looked like this, and there were brown stalks, and that was it. Now it is wider than my but spread out arms at six feet or more and about this high, all from that. Now, who did that? Did I go out there and pray over it every night and fertilize it? Well, we did We did some stuff. I didn't pray about it. <laughs> but God, if you want to come and look at this, if you can imagine a whole bush full of these, just full of them, and you look at the intricacy of this design. This is a great argument against evolution, sitting right here. That's one stinking little flower. It is just amazing, the, the circular pattern of the different colors, how each petal is like almost its own flower. It's just phenomenal. I'm not a flower dude. I, I, I picked that one out at the store when my wife and I were like going through the plant thing and making this garden for the first time. So she calls it my lantana bush. Um, so I had to bring it for you. But if God can array and dress a simple flower like this that a freeze can knock out in 24 to 48 hours, if God can do that for this or this, this one's, I love this one too, it's called fireworks. And it looks like one of those when the fireworks go up and they psh, in a big ball and everything, all the spikes go different directions. That's what these look like. And they are phenomenal. By the way, butterflies love these. And we got butterflies all over our backyard now. Um, these are just crazy amazing. You look at these and you got the pink stalk. And at the end, there's these little yellow dot as if they were all dipped in paint. They're just beautiful. If God can put clothes on a flower that a bad weather system can knock out so easily, will God not put enough clothes in your closet for you to wear? Answer me. Will he? Yes. I, I want to hear you. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Thanks. I, I love the front row. You kids are great. You're marvelous. I love those answers. So, Jesus says, lose the birds of the air, the flowers of the field. Why are you worried about that? He says, I say to you, even Solomon, the most wealthy king in all of Israel's history, who had streets paved with valuable stones, gold. It was just crazy how, how wealthy he was. You can imagine the seamstress and tailors that he kept working to clothe himself. You know, different thing for breakfast, for lunch, and for dinner, I imagine. He had his, his closet. Can you imagine Solomon's closet? You know, it was like a hallway. Just, oh, this is what I wore last year, this is next year. He had everything he could ever want. Even Solomon, in all of his glory, could not clothe himself like one of these. If God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow's gone, thrown into the furnace... Will he not much more clothe you? And then Jesus looks at the audience. You of little faith. Why are you worrying? God loves you more than birds and plants. You're inestimably valuable to his heart. He cares for you. And he won't let you go naked. And he won't let you starve. He's going to take care of you. 
Conclusion. Do not worry then. In other words, let's this, this draw it to a close. Do not worry then, saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. In the earlier part of this chapter, he's been telling you, don't pray like the religious hypocrites, because they like to advertise their piety. Don't pray like that. Now he's saying, don't worry like the Gentiles. The Gentiles, they are focused on the here and now. They don't know God. They don't, they don't have a hope for eternity. They don't have a long-term reference. They think that you only go around once in life and you've got to grab for all the stuff you can get. And whoever dies with the most toys wins. That's what they think. Don't be like them. Why should you? You've got a Father in Heaven who's taking care of you. So don't worry about uh, the Gentiles seek all these things. Notice all these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Do you think Father, our Father is like surprised? Oh, I forgot a meal plan for them. <laughs> oh, I forgot to make sure they had enough stuff from Amazon to wear. You know, I, I better get on the stick. I better order that real quick. No, no God's, God knows. He knows every one of our needs before we write them down or before we think them. And certainly before we pray them or worry them. The Father knows you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom. That's the same as laying up treasures in heaven. Making God's, the advance of God's will, God's love, uh, God's kingdom in this world our priority. And he said, I'll take care of the rest. You serve me, I'll take care of you. Do not worry about tomorrow. <laughs> tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough troubles of its own. It's an old, old poem that derives itself from this passage. I'll close with it. Said the robin to the sparrow, I'd really like to know why these anxious human beings rush about and worry so. Said the sparrow to the robin, I think it must be that they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. My friends, lay up treasures in heaven and don't worry about tomorrow. A loving Jesus looks you in the eye and says, I got this. Let's pray. Thank you, Father in heaven, heaven for sending us Jesus to speak so practically, to look us in the face and tell us like it is. Thank you for his very down-to-earth reminders about ourselves and our tendency to materialism and our constant battle with worry. The best we know how right now, we as a group, open our hands and we just give our worries to you. Yeah, I know that tomorrow we'll probably take them back. But right now, with the intention born of your spirit in our hearts, we give our worries to you. And we trust you. Take care of us. In the good name of Jesus, amen.